This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done your homework. I'm Danny Shapiro. And this is The Way We Live Now. Today is day 92 since frittatas became the new sourdough. And day 42 of this podcast. My guest today is writer and producer Austin Channing Brown, whose first book, I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness, has taken her across the country speaking at universities, in churches, to huge audiences. Her mission, addressing head-on the systemic ways Our world was built for whiteness. Of course, all that travel was curtailed by the pandemic. And now, her words are more urgent than ever. Austin, thanks so much for joining me to talk about the way we live now. Oh, I am so grateful to be here. So this is a show that began as a way to connect, to gather, to get a window into each other's lives during... This time, a time which continues to evolve and evolve. I always begin by asking my guests to describe your surroundings. Let us see you. Where are you right now? Where are you sitting? What are you looking at? I am in my apartment in Metro Detroit. I am sitting on my couch in the living room. Uh, My television is on, but it's not turned to anything. (laughs) So it's just doing like the scrolling, like same picture over and over again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And surrounded by family photos, movies, and a million toys because I have a toddler. (laughs) Have you been uh, sort of sequestered with your toddler since the beginning of COVID? Oh, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yes. Today (laughs) is his. First day at daycare, but for the last 10-ish weeks or so, uh, he had been home, so his toys are still all over the place. <laughs> oh, bad. Your book came out in 2018, right? Yes. Um, and it was very well received and relevant then, but now, wow, like, here, here we are. And I'm wondering what the last you know, weeks have been like for you. Yeah, I I wrote I'm Still Here on the tail end of our 
Black Lives Matter revolving around Ferguson. And so now for the book to have been out for two years and for people to still be discovering it now in a second iteration of, of Black Lives Matter's protest is a little surreal, but not entirely unpredictable. Mm-hmm. And grateful because when I wrote the book, I wanted it to be able to survive beyond its current moment. And so I'm glad that it seems to have done that. The difficulty of being someone who talks about anti-racism for a living (laughs) is that I become most popular when the country is in crisis. And there is something very, very hard and awkward and brutal about that. And so I'm trying really hard to just be proud of my book (laughs) and to be glad that um, it is serving as a touch point on people's journey toward anti-racism. That's so interesting, and that makes so much sense. It, it's it's got to feel both like a source of pride and really difficult that here we are, and not surprising either. Right, right. It's it's all of that. It is like it is wrapped up in humanity <laughs> and all the complications that humanity brings with it. Mm-hmm. So you posted on Instagram this week a graphic with the quote. You have a duty to change what you have the power to change. And you captioned it with, it seems to me at some point, symbolic gestures from those who have the power to enact real anti-racist changes are just another form of violence. So I want to ask you, and sorry to quote an Instagram post, but... (laughs) No, that's fine. We speak the truth, especially these days in that form. That's right. What does real allyship look like at this moment in time? Wow. So when I wrote that post, I really had in mind the individual. So, you know, we can think about anti-racism on two different planes, one plane being sort of an interpersonal level and the other being an organizational level. I recently had an organization, a company, who sent me an email and in the email asked if I could help them write a statement regarding everything that's happened, sort of their Black Lives Matter statement. And I sat on it for a couple of days because I wasn't sure how to respond. <laughs> how, do, how do I write your statement for you, right? And then I realized, I don't want to read your statement, whether I write it or not. I don't want your statement. I don't want to read your statement. I don't care about your statement. What I really care about is whether or not you as a company are trying to be anti-racist. Are you hiring people of color? Are you paying people of color equally? I want to know, are you being anti-racist? I'm not really interested in this statement. How do you say irony? I mean, it's so backward thinking in every way. It's hard to imagine, but it's not hard to imagine because... It's not, right? Because that is what so many people default to, right? So the principal doesn't diversify the curriculum, The principal says, you know, gathers everyone in an auditorium and says about how much diversity means personally to him or her. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And the corporate supervisor sends out an email. But when a person of color goes to HR and says, we have a real problem here, the supervisor doesn't back them up. And when politicians, right, make these great speeches, but I don't see any new policy legislation happening. I think we, we who are at least holding this value for ourselves, right? That if you want to claim the value 
then you must be aware of the ways in which you hold power and use that power as opposed to the pageantry of proclaiming a commitment to diversity, to inclusion, to people of color, to Black Lives Matter, that is not actually being enacted. Right. And we've been here countless times before. I, one of the things I've been really wondering about are, you know, why are so many white people, especially liberal, progressive white people, or, you know, mm-hmm. who, who define um, themselves that way, why are they, we, you know, only now starting to take stock of the role that we've played uh, in upholding white supremacy? I mean, and are we? Right. <laughs> right. One thing that I've thought about a lot is that we are, many of us, still in a kind of quarantine-ish situation or a sheltering-at-home situation. So our lives are, for many of us, slower. Our calendars are not filled with um, plans, uh, and we're not getting dressed and leaving home and going to jobs and getting on planes and train, you know, we're not in the usual flow of busyness. And I'm wondering whether that's going to have any any impact on genuine self-reflection. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure, honestly. (laughs) I'm not sure. On the one hand, I want to believe that that slowness and that lack of distraction means that People are going to access more resources and read more books and attend more virtual events and have more conversations with their family members, you know, that they're immediately surrounded by. Um, and maybe, maybe all of that knowledge and all of those stories will drop deeper than they usually do. Mm-hmm. But I think only time will tell whether or not that will translate into the courage to be anti-racist in public. And I think there are a lot of people of color who would describe themselves as cautiously optimistic. <laughs> like, like there does seem to be something different this time around. There does seem to be a level of commitment and courage, or at the very least curiosity on the part of white people that I don't think we've seen with other Black Lives Matter protests. And yet it's a lot to ask that we would be trusting that all of these folks who are curious will have a commitment once there is more public risk attached. Mm. What did you um, write back to that corporation who asked you to draft their anti-racist statement for them. <laughs> I told them no. <laughs> I would not do that. Um, but I I asked them if they would, it was a wellness company, hmm. and I asked them if they would consider allowing activists and organizers and, you know, those who are tired and who are on the ground, if they would supply free smile packages. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, like, mm-hmm. show me, show me that you are committed to the actual people mm-hmm. on the ground. Consider being creative with their resources, with the mission of their company, and apply that to 
black women, to women of color, to activists, to organizers, and show that they believe Black Lives Matter as opposed to just writing a statement. I love that. I did not get a response. You did not get a response. (laughs) I did not get a response (laughs) back. Maybe they're in the process of sending you gift certificates. (laughs) (laughs) Another question I have for you is, what role does your faith play in your activism? You were raised in a religious home. What lessons has religion taught you? You know, I was <laughs> I was both raised in a religious home and attended private Christian school. Right. So my right. entire world <laughs> rooted in Christianity. And now as an adult, I feel like I never say this very well, but racial justice is a pursuit I believe in that I hope I would do whether I was Christian or not. I hope. And My faith, therefore, informs the way I talk about racial justice. It informs um, how I present about racial justice. It it really is core in many ways to to who I am, both as a writer and just as a person, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. And yet, I have no desire, no inclination, no longing to become evangelical about my faith as I pursue racial justice. So when I show up somewhere, even though I hold my faith close to me, if my words don't translate to someone who is not a Christian, then I feel like I have failed. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't want anyone who who attends an event or comes to a workshop or hears me on this podcast, you know, to feel like I have no idea what she's talking about because it's clear she's only talking to Christians. That would make me really, really sad. And so I, I carry it with me. I am informed by it, but it is, it is in no way sort of an evangelical tool that there's, you know, like, Ooh, I wonder if I could make you, anti-racist or a Christian. Mm. Either way, I win. You know, that, that, feels, that feels gross, honestly. And it feels disrespectful yeah. of other people's faith and their traditions and their heritage and their background. And it feels weird to say, I want all of that about me to matter to you. But if you have that, it doesn't matter to me. Like, that just feels, that feels icky. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And also, that's a divisive way of walking through the world. And right. your work is the opposite of that. Exactly. Exactly. It was like, these two things do not belong together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my last question for you is, how are you taking care of yourself right now? How are you keeping yourself fed emotionally and spiritually during this time, which I also imagine is on top of all of the feelings and all of the uh, weight of what's happening and all of, you know, potentially the cautious optimism has got to be this incredibly right. intense, busy, you know, wave coming over you as well. It has been quite overwhelming. And my body keeps changing, right? So the, so the first wave of overwhelming was really COVID, right? And being in a pandemic and and figuring out everything related to being quarantined, you know, and then here we are, at least in Michigan, we were still sheltered in place. And now there's a new national crisis happening that happens to be in my wheelhouse. 
Um, and so my body was changing. So at first I was sleeping all the time. And then with this newer crisis, I, I can't find sleep to save my life. Mm. Um, I keep looking for it under my pillow, under my bed. Is it in the closet? I just don't know where it went, Danny. Mm. <laughs> sleep seems to have just disappeared. Same thing with my appetite. Before I was eating pretty regularly. And now I spend most of my days convincing myself to eat because I feel just slightly nauseous. Not like nauseous enough to like race to the bathroom, but enough to just not want to eat. And so a lot of my self-care has just been giving my body opportunities to do things that it's telling me it doesn't really want to do. <laughs> because I'm like, no, you really should do this. Like, I know, I know you don't want to sleep, but we're going to go get in the bed anyway. Mm-hmm. And I know you don't want to eat, but I'm going to toast this bagel just in case, <laughs> you know. So it's really been a battle for the normal <laughs> like a normal baseline level of self-care. Mm-hmm. But I will say the one place that I've had major success is my skincare routine. <laughs> major success, Danny. It's been amazing. I have been using my cleansers and my exfoliant. I got a jade roller and I keep it in a little refrigerator. And when I put that little jade roller on my face, oh my goodness. <laughs> so much pleasure. <laughs> and like the the feeling of actually I am in this moment doing something nice for myself, right? The smells, the touch, the water, the gel and the cleanser and the, it's also pretty and it smells like it is just a purely pleasurable experience that doesn't feel like a chore. Mm. It just doesn't feel like a chore right now. Mm-hmm. And so... It is the one thing that I do almost every night. This is way too dramatic, but it doesn't feel like I'm beating my body into submission. <laughs> like, like you will sleep, <laughs> mm-hmm. you will eat. You know, it feels like the one area where I just get to be full of joy and quiet and candles and um, yeah, it's it's it's, mm. it's my my one little oasis every day. That's lovely, and it's a ritual. Mm-hmm. And also, one thing that you said really about is like you are you're listening to your body, you're noticing your body. I think it's that's right. Often for people who are, you know, when we're in this really deeply stressed and disturbing and intense time. Um, mm-hmm. or overwhelm, it's easy to actually just forget that we have bodies at all. It's the truth. It's the truth. Well, this has been a really lovely conversation, and I'm so thankful to you for taking the time out of what's got to be a complete insane amount of Zooming and <laughs> phoning and everything else that you're doing now as you go into the you know, the second wave of, of your remarkable book. So, Austin, thanks. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity to come chat with you. Right. Be well. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Way We Live Now. Tell us the way you're living now. We want to hear. Call us on, you might want to get a pen for this, 909-713-8995. That's 909-713-8995. And record your story, and we might just use it on the pod.
Also, you can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash the way we live now pod. We are creating a community here and we would love for you to join us. You can find me on Instagram at Danny Ryder. The Way We Live Now is a production of iHeartRadio. It's produced by Lowell Berlanti. Beth Ann Macaluso is executive producer. Special thanks to Tristan McNeil and Tyler Klang. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy Monday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.